Last weekend, we took the U.S. men's national team to the semifinals of a World Cup in Football Manager, and it just kind of got me thinking about Zeeland, who is one of the best Football Manager streamers out there, what his thoughts are on the U.S. men's national team, and what he would do if he was managing the team in opposition to Greg Berhalter and how we're going to approach the World Cup. So make sure to stick around as we talk to Zeeland about how he would manage the U.S. men's national team and what his expectations are going into the World Cup. Thanks so much for watching, guys. I'm Jake. This is FIFA America. Enjoy. Peace. What is up, Zeeland? Welcome back to the channel. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. Very well rested because I knew I had to talk about the U.S. national team today. And that, uh, <laughs> that, that that's always the, requires the most energy, I think. For good. We might bad. add some wrinkles to the forehead today. But we'll see. We'll see. So a lot of this happened since we you were last on the channel with the U.S. team. But the biggest thing is that the U.S. is qualified for the World Cup. And it's not a given. As we know, in 2018, the U.S. missed the World Cup. And for me, that was one of the worst feelings that I've felt in my life. So no matter how we did it, I think it has to be said, we're happy that we're back. But we came in third in the qualification. So what was your reaction to the end of the qualifying campaign? Relief and disappointment. Uh, I was relieved that we made it. But when you look at what, I mean, Mexico's got its worst team in, right, at, at least a decade, right? This is not a good Mexican team. It's a team that you know, we've beaten for the Nations League. We've beaten for the Gold Cup when our B team was out there. And yet, somehow, when it comes to qualifying and executing against teams like El Salvador or at Panama or at Costa Rica, we end up, we tied with Costa Rica in the table. We got to the World Cup on goal difference. Like, it's, it is a relief that we got to the World Cup. I'm not one of those people that, you know, I'm not in the studio popping champagne like a lot of the ex-national team players were, which I don't know if that rubbed me the wrong way. It kind of did. Because I'm over here like, man, come on. We're a country of 340 million people where soccer is the fourth most popular sport. You look at the player pool that that creates. I mean, that player pool by itself would be like, I honestly should figure this out for a video, but I'm pretty sure it's the second biggest country in CONCACAF. Just the people that have soccer as their favorite sport, which is the fourth most popular sport in the country. So it is amazing to me that we are still celebrating with as much enthusiasm as we did. I just, when we, when I realized we made the world cup after beating Panama five to one, and you're just like, okay, all hell would have to break loose for us to miss the world cup. You go like, Oh, okay. We are, we are good. But when you look at the final table, I, I mean, I, I think of South America, right? I, I think of Mexico and the U S as the Brazil and Argentina of CONCACAF, like the two teams that no matter what happens, have to be up there, right? They, they yeah. just have to be. And both of those teams were, you know, they were 10, 12 points away. And when I was simulating qualifying for the World Cup, which is something that also just kind of rubs it in because I'm doing all these simulations on Football Manager, the U.S. is getting 35, 36 points in qualifying, dropping points in three or four matches, right? Or in one simulation, they only yeah. drop points in two matches. And that's Football Manager, which generally undervalues i think the ability of certain american players with the exception of uh, Gio Reyna. so i i was largely disappointed with the twinge of relief like okay at least we're on the dance floor i'm not optimistic but at least 
we're going, we're there. We're going to, we're going to have a chance to, to do something. And boy, are we going to have a chance to do something in the group <laughs> stage? That's, oh. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but just to stick on this qualifying point for one last question is where do you kind of stand in the debate in terms of our team being really young and inexperienced and therefore mm -hmm. a bit more volatile in our results? Like in the game against Costa Rica, we did put out what was essentially our best starting 11. So you can't really, like a lot of people will point to Greg as a reason why we didn't get the results that we wanted in the qualifying. But in that last game, like we did have our best team out on the field to, to get a result and we, we couldn't do that. Our sponsor today is Bet Online. They continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports information. Find all the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the NBA playoffs, the fights, even next season's fixtures. And don't forget that Major League Baseball is back as well. Who are you picking to win the World Series this year? Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. I think that we lean on the inexperience a little too much. I understood the argument in the first qualifying game against El Salvador on the road. El Salvador in particular, all of a sudden a decent team because they recruited their diaspora and really focused on building a national team and they did it the right way. And so they've got this incredible, that, that, that was a unique atmosphere. And so I accepted the excuse of a packed house in El Salvador, a nation that's not been at this level for a little while. And so they get an, a kind of a ridiculous amount of energy and a team that's actually pretty good. And our team, some of them playing their first qualifying game ever. I think it was like six or seven of the 11 that started that game were playing their first World Cup qualifier ever. That, that, but if, you played 14 now. I mean, Really, like you, you, this is your 14th qualifier for the majority of the guys on that field. They've played in at least seven or eight of those qualifying matches. Like you can't sit. Uh, that's more qualifying matches than Christian Pulisic had played when he was you know, the chosen son that was supposed to carry us through Trinidad and Tobago. And nobody was sitting there like, well, he's young. You know, he's not so like the generation is coming. That's why we lost to Trinidad and Tobago. I mean, one misstep. Right. One more, one point anywhere. And we are playing yeah. against New Zealand to go to the World Cup. That yeah. over 14 <laughs> matches, one more point. But like the, the goal that Jamaica scored that should have counted, that would have beaten us in Kingston or would have taken mm -hmm. points off us. If that, it should have counted. It was taken away. If it did count, we're playing New Zealand for the. Yeah. And I think we're having a completely different conversation right now. The conversation is, Oh, we did good. We should have done better because they were young. I think the conversation right now is, wow, we did kind of poorly. I know we're young, but we should be, we should be accomplishing more than this. I mean, when you look, yeah. we have, in my opinion, two or three of the best players in CONCACAF, no question with a national pool that should be able to beat everybody, including Mexico in, in CONCACAF based off of any metric you want to use to measure player success. Unless you really think that the Mexican league is that good, which I, I mean, it's the best in CONCACAF, but it's not, it, it's not that good. Uh, when you have, you're right back at Barcelona 
your left back's playing for a team that'll be in the Premier League next season. Your midfielders are playing for Leipzig, who's in the Europa League semifinal. Juventus, who makes the Champions League knockouts every year, and he cemented a starting spot there. Pulisic, who got the number 10 at Chelsea because he absolutely carried them at the end of the pandemic, even though he can't keep his hamstrings together. Gio Reyna, who plays at Dortmund, even though his hamstrings disagree with him too. And even though we don't like them, a collection of strikers that play in top 10 leagues in Europe. So uh, I keep coming yeah. back there. Now, I, I, I can't blame the lack of experience anymore because by the time you get to your 14th qualifier, you know, you know what's coming. You know what's yeah, coming. You've played true. away in these games before. I'll, yeah, I'll call out a, self, a little self-promotion. I had Hugo Perez, the coach of El Salvador, on the channel, and he was talking about how knowledge is way more important than experience for a player. If you have knowledge of a European night or performing at the level to get the number 10 at Chelsea, that is more important than experience in CONCACAF, in, in his opinion. But... You mentioned the draw for the World Cup and the damage that we could possibly do or the damage done to us, honestly. But the draw puts us in a really challenging group with England, Iran, and the European playoff winner. How do you feel the U.S. will perform in this group? I think that talent-wise, the U.S. will be the second best team in the group. I think that that's a position that makes American fans uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. I'm used to going into a group with the underdog mentality. That is the U.S. national team mentality. You go into a group with Germany, Portugal, and Ghana, and you're going, I think we're going to lose every game, but I'm going to root for our boys, you know, and we're going to take... Now we're going into the group with a completely different mindset eight years later. We're going in with, well, we're better than Iran, and we've got more talent than Scotland and or Wales, even though both of those teams have proven they can compete with and beat anyone in the world. That's not what I'm saying. And honestly, I love the story of both those teams. And I'm super sad that U.S. success will likely mean they don't get to the knockouts. And this is assuming that Ukraine isn't going to be able to play the game in June. I hope they are. I think it'd be an incredible story. But then that's another, you know, it's like a is, is a fan of the U.S. national team. That's a complicated situation. because you're like you want Ukraine to do well. But at the same time, you're like, dang yeah. it. Like, I want the U.S. <laughs> to be able to do something. Um, the... These, this, I, this is the first time in my living memory that I am expecting us to get out of the group stage. In 2010 and 2014, we did. I wasn't expecting it. I was hoping that it happened. Now I'm expecting it. Do I think that we are going to do it? I'd say it's about 60-40. Iran is not bad. It is somebody that passionately follows the international game. Iran is similar to Mexico in a lot of ways, that it is a country with a population that is much higher than most people think. These are always the metrics I'm paying attention to. And they have one league. They play one sport at, at a high level. And that's it. They're, they're, this is, Team Melly is it. It's the team. That's, that is Iran's national sporting presence right there, with the exception of their Olympic wrestlers. But... That, that's not soaking up a large part of their sporting emphasis. And we saw it against Spain and Portugal in a group that was supposed to be an absolute pushover. Iran took, I think it was, it was Spain, took them all the way to, and we are not Spain. So yeah. it's going to be, it's going to be a contest and we're going to be playing against teams that play, I think, like old school U.S. teams. Scotland and Wales play like old school U.S. teams. They beat you up. 
they they pack it in and they've got one or two dudes that can really do something and a bunch of role players. And I uh, I have no idea how we're going to handle that. I was more optimistic about us going to the World Cup than us qualifying out of CONCACAF, though, because Berhalter plays like we're the worst team. He sets the yeah. team up like we are the worst team. And so that can work at the World Cup when we're playing England because the whole freaking team is used to playing like, you know, 45 guys behind the ball and let's just knock it around and let's uh, like defensive midfielders all over the place. Which that, that could work against England. I honest, honest to goodness, I think we could beat England and lose to like Iran. I think yeah, that's more possible, possible, more possible than anyone would like to believe because England also kind of plays that way, which means we're going to be packing it in. And if we can just hit Weston McKinney on a set piece, England, I don't think is going to be able to blow us away because one thing that England's got on a lot of teams that they're not going to have on us is that they're bigger and stronger and more athletic. We are big, strong, and very athletic. And so we'll just throw Daryl DK at them. We've got Miles Robinson and Walker Zimmerman who are just going to be draped on Harry Kane. I, I think we could beat England. I really do. And I think we could go and lose to Iran and then stuff just gets weird in the group yeah. when that happens. And, and so you're thinking like if England sets up with Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips as two center defensive <laughs> mids, like the U.S. could take advantage of that a little bit. I, I Well, I think that in, in a lot of ways – we can mirror that. I mean, okay, they do that. And then we just drop Weston McKinney and Tyler Adams. And you're just like, okay, now we're sitting here with two guys that are primarily at least box to box midfielders, defensive midfielders. And it's just going to come down to which person can, can make a play. And I think we're very good at set pieces. It's the only goals we scored in qualifying were set pieces. It's amazing. It's like 50% of our goals. And we didn't score nearly we as much. We didn't score many. Yeah. No. <laughs> we didn't score nearly as much as we should have. But the, the goals, I mean, even against Honduras, when it was negative 25 degrees outside, we scored three set pieces. Like, okay. That's just, I mean, why are we even heading the ball at that point? I think we can mirror them in a lot of ways. They obviously have Harry Kane. Uh, but on the wings, they're going to be coming at us you know, with Foden, with Grealish, with with Sterling. We're going to be, hopefully put Gio Reyna in a cryo chamber for six months. He's going to walk out there with in him and Pulisic and it'll be fun. I, I it'll be low scoring. I think there's going to be one goal in the game. And I think whoever scores that goal is going to win the game. And that's the game that everybody's going to want to pay attention to and is, is going to be fantastic, but that's also not the game that's going to determine whether we get to the knockout stages. It's the other two games. Uh, it is black Friday. People are going to have off. It should be a huge game. Just yeah. television wise in the U S I'll be home. I'll be home with some face paint on or something and uh, be ready, be ready to go. Nice. So 60, 40, you're saying U S advances. Yeah. Uh, because the U S is the second best team in that group player okay. for player line for line. I think the most dangerous team that could come out of those three is Scott or no, sorry, is uh, Ukraine. They're also the least likely to come out of there given the present circumstance. And obviously Thoughts and prayers with them. But uh, and then I think Scotland. I would be afraid of Scotland. If we get Wales, just tackle Gareth Bale. I know people have been trying to do that for a long time <laughs> yeah. in a Wales shirt, and it's just very hard to do. But that team is hilariously bad yeah, and worse than you think it is. It's like him, then Dan James is down here, and then yeah. everybody else it's, is. I mean, there's they, like their striker plays in the championship. They're, even Aaron I mean, Ramsey is back in the Scottish Premier League. Like, yeah, the, they don't they have, have big players around him. 
if nothing. The fact that they're able to get to the point that they've gotten, even that team that got to the semifinals of the Euros in Wales' second ever trip to the Euros had this second layer of of players. They had uh, some guy in defense whose name I can't remember. That was when Aaron Ramsey was at the peak of his power. And he would, so it was him and Gareth Bale. Uh, Wayne Hennessy was at least a Premier League keeper at that time. So they they had a they had a different set. Now they're even worse than they than they were then. I respect Gareth's hustle trying to get his nation <laughs> to the World Cup for the second time ever, but I am hoping that he does because I feel not only would it be fun to play Gareth Bale, I feel like they're just the worst team out of the three. Yeah. I mean, either way, there's gonna be a lot of storylines with whether it's Ukraine coming from the war. And getting to the World Cup, mm. whether it's Scotland or Wales on the island of the United Kingdom playing against England. And then England, obviously, with those storylines and the former colony of the US, it's shaping up to just have so many undercurrents with it on each game. But well, then the game against phone, Iran, I think that's going to be that's going to yeah. be a really intense game. Just because you can't it, discount yeah, that. Yeah, it's going to be real. It, it's one of those things. It's just because <laughs> both nations are really really not going to want to lose. I think it's more, it's, I don't, you know, we just don't want to lose. I don't want to lose to like Iran. Iran definitely doesn't want to lose to us. We both have bones to pick with each other. I watched the movie Argo last week, you know, <laughs> just getting ready. <laughs> yeah. 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 Emotionally preparing. Doing a Doing a Argo actually completely random that I did watch that, but that was like two days before the draw. Um, so yeah, no, I'll watch that the day before the match. So I make sure I'm... <laughs> that that is the last match in the group as well for both teams. So mm. I mean, at that point, we're going to kind of know what we need from that game to advance. But um, putting on your football manager hat for a second, a lot of the best U.S. players play in the same position. So you have Timothy Way, you have Brendan Aronson, Gio Reyna, Christian Pulisic. They're all kind of pseudo wingers that can come inside and maybe play the ten. How do you get the best out of our players? How do you put the best 11 on the field? Right. I think that what you need to study if you're Greg. Now, I don't know if he'll do this. He seems to have an unwavering belief in the way that he does things. But I think what you need to study is the way that somebody like Thomas Tuchel manages a team like that because he has a similar collection of players stylistically. You have Havertz. You have Pulisic. You have Mount. You have Ziek, right? And then you you find a way to put three of those guys together and have them play this interchangeable front three game. And given the U.S. and its struggles to produce a reliable number nine, right? Ricardo Pepe is adjusting to Germany. He's learning to speak German, and he picked a bad team to play for. And I think he's adjusting to all of that. And he seems to be struggling for form. He hasn't scored in a couple of months. And so he's not the guy that we can just rely on anymore. And to be perfectly honest, he didn't feel ready when he was scoring goals for the U.S. national team anyways. It's just not on the same quality plane as the other guys. I, you got to study them. You have to study them and you have to study Liverpool because Liverpool does the same thing. They bring in you know, Luis Diaz and then they sub, they'll sub him in Bobby Firmino and obviously Mane and Salah. And Good they time. have the interchangeable parts in the front. And the way you get the best out of those guys is matchups, I think. Polisic is generally going to be best coming off the left. And so unless the matchups absolutely dictate he should be somewhere else, I think you have him coming off the left. And then in the other two spots, it is just where you feel like you're going to be able to exploit weaknesses the most. 
I think Timmy Weah is a fantastic right wing, most direct player that we have. Uh, as long as he can stay healthy, he gets the ball, advances it up the field. He can play in tight windows, which shows that he plays in a really advanced league. And, you know, he was a, he's a league all champion, which probably doesn't get enough credit for, right? I I would love to see him and Reyna and Pulisic be that starting three. If I'm choosing for the one match, I'm putting Reyna in the middle. Yeah. And I'm having, I'm having Reyna drop off, pick the ball up and try and make runs because we don't play direct. I mean, what's the, the what's the point of playing with a traditional number nine, Daryl DK, Ricardo Pepe, is that you are putting the ball in the channel. You are playing off of them. You're using them to push the line back. We don't do that. When was the last time you saw Miles Robinson just cock back and hit a ball into the channel? Not for a wing, but for the center forward. It, do, it doesn't happen. Ricardo Pepe's not like taking the ball over his shoulder. He's not running in towards the, the end line. And so if you have Reyna there, I mean, he loves picking up the ball. He's, he's got incredible control with the ball. He obviously is really great at running with the ball. And he's got the type of size that makes him at least influential in the box in a way that Pulisic is not when he plays false nine. And so having Reyna there, he drops in and works as part of the build-up play. You can run one of your midfielders off of him. I don't care if it's Legette or McKinney or whoever you decide should be there, and it shouldn't be Legette. I want to make that clear. But <laughs> it, it, even if it is, or we Ariola, got in or, a lot of trouble there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Somebody's gonna be like, he said Sebastian. No, I look, I don't, I don't think Legette should be there. The ghost know, of Sebastian Legette. I, I, the ghost of. I just know he's probably gonna be there, right? Like again, against the will of everybody. And at the point, if if he's there, then I'm gonna root for him to do well. The same with Ariola. I hope I was hoping he was gonna cash that bicycle kick whenever that was, but at least he scored his first header in his career. That was fun against Panama. The point is, you have Reina drop in there. You've got people like McKinney that can fly off of him. You've got people like Des that can fly off of him. Our best attacking players are not the striker spot. And so have yeah. Reina drop in. We do our slow build-up thing, and then we use Wea and Pulisic to break something open, make the pass, score the goal. I think- do you stick with a 4-3-3, or do you play something mm. like a 4-2-3-1 and have Reina in the 10 spot? I think the issue with a 4-2-3-1 is that we don't get our best players in the field. Uh, I think that if you go four two three one, then we need to put four attacking players in there. And I don't know like you basically the next guy ups Brendan Aronson at that point, and then who plays the actual striker position? I feel like <laughs> there's no point to even discussing that because we know what Greg's going to do. It's going to be a four three three. It's going to be a defensive four three three with like the inverted midfield where you get two defensive guys, one that kind of swings and then one attacking midfielder. A 4-2-3-1 would be interesting and I'd love to figure out how to get Aronson, Wea, Pulisic, and Reyna to play together as part of that front four. And then when you have Adams and McKinney, I mean, I like it. That's a pretty good front six. It is, but I don't think he'll do it. It's not happening. No, yeah. we're going to end up with Jossie Zardes in front of Reina and Pulisic, and we're just going to, that, that's that's the life we're going to live. And I hope don't, it works. Don't say that. Uh, you, he you really, you know, that, he's good on the small like field in Hamilton. That's what I'm thinking. You know, Jossie Zardes' last start was away to Canada. It's amazing to me. Uh, even in that window, we we started three different strikers in each of those games, and none of them worked. But I kind of like Ferreira. 
I don't know why. Me too. Yeah. I kind of like Ferreira. I didn't really know who he was, and then he just kept getting called up and putting in. They kept putting him in the team, and he seems now to he's have the more, only one kind of scoring a bit. He's he's got build up. He he does have build up and some elements of comfort passing the ball around, which is rare apparently for us. So, what, in your opinion, then, is the biggest issue to solve before the World Cup starts? <sighs> I like our center backs. I do. I don't think they're the best two center backs that the U.S. has. And I think that while a lot of people will say we need to get a number nine firing, we weren't going to score a lot of goals at the World Cup anyways. I'm going to spoil that for you. So this is more about being able to not Jeff Cameron this and just kick the ball backwards towards our own net. Walker Zimmerman and Miles Robinson have not played against Foden, Sterling, Kane, Grealish. Those guys are worth $100 million, at least. Every single one of them. Rashford, like anybody that's going to be flying off the Lingard, for crying out loud, they have not played against players like that. Ever. But uh, uh, Those guys don't exist on Mexico, Right. Uh, Tecatito Corona is on a whole different level down from these guys. You need John Brooks. We don't want to need John Brooks. You need John Brooks because he plays against Serge Gnabry. He knows what that looks like, right? He's gone up against Lewandowski. That is invaluable when you're going up against Kane. Those are two of the three best strikers in the world. And he knows, he knows what it looks like. He knows what it feels like. And most importantly, he doesn't get embarrassed by it. He doesn't get outclassed. Right? He had a bad start to the season, but he honestly has played pretty well the last couple of months. And I don't know what him and Burhalter got in a fight over, but look, it's John Brooks in the World Cup. And he, <laughs> that and Chris Richards, those two guys, those are the best center backs the United States has. They both play regularly in the Bundesliga. They both are familiar with what that level of competition looks like. And I am afraid that Burhalter is going to ride the form into the World Cup on Robinson and Zimmerman, and they're just going to end up getting rinsed. Not even because they can't handle it, just because they've never, I mean, not only is the pressure to World Cup something that literally no one on this team has experienced before, ever. It's also the talent level is completely different. Not on Iran. Iran, they will have seen that before. And against everybody on you know Wales and Scotland, with the exception of like Andy Robertson coming from the back and Gareth Bale coming from the front, they will have seen it before. I'm just, I'm really afraid that there is a small version of a game against England where we lose four to nothing because Miles Robinson and Walker Zimmerman just yeah. can't handle it. And it's not their yeah. fault. I mean, because it's the, like, it is a completely different level. And there are only two U.S. center backs that have been to that level and come out the other side and survive. And Berhalter yeah. doesn't seem to like either of them. <laughs> So this next question, you kind of like set yourself up for this perfectly, but if you could add any two players in mm. the world to this team to make the U.S. team a contender at the World Cup, who would they be and who are they replacing? Right. So the first player that I'm adding to make the U.S. capable of winning the World Cup is Kareem Benzema. The U.S. with a prolific number nine would be a completely different national team and would legitimately be a top 12 national team in the world. We wouldn't have just fluked our way to it. 
I think we're 15th now after the loss to Costa Rica, but we were as high as 10. So we certainly didn't deserve to be up there, but God bless the FIFA rankings. I think if I add Kareem Benzema and then the other position I'm going to add is definitely a center back. And if I'm going to go for who I think is the best center back in the world, then I'm going to take Van Dyke. If we had Kareem Benzema and Virgil van Dyke, I think people would look at us as an as a team that legitimately had a chance to win the World Cup. I think that that team with those two players would be better than the Croatia team that made the final. And you would look at it, you know, be like, well, the United States really is a dark horse here. Like has an absolute chance to to win the World Cup. Those are the two things we're missing. And honestly, I am shocked that the United States, given the way that we play the game with athleticism and toughness hasn't produced a world-class center back yet it feels like the type of position we should be able to to produce you don't need the skill you just have to be you know a beast as we use in american parlance and we haven't produced that like beastly center back yet it's kind of amazing to me it's it's got to be on the way there's got to be some guy coming in the future but i haven't done it yet and we i'll take virgil van dyke in the meantime I mean, it's crazy how close we are, though, to being a contender. Yeah. Genuinely, like if you add those two players, there is a, a chance. There is not a 4,000 to 1 chance. There's a oh, absolutely 80 to 1 chance, 50 to 1 chance. Yeah. All, all you need is the best center back in the world and arguably the best striker <laughs> in the world. And then we're going to. No problem. Yeah, no problem <laughs> at all. But, but it is cool. And I, I think that people don't read people that aren't from the United States, don't realize how unique it is. People are like, why do you talk about politics so much? I'm like, look, you, you're you English. You've got a whole league of players playing in the best teams in the world, in the biggest matches in the world. We have like a guy, right? Like, And now we have like 10. And so it, it's you, you have those Twitter accounts that like track what happens for the US national team and European play. That's always what I'm like, look, you... We follow Pulisic and Reyna and Dest kind of to a lesser extent and McKinney to a lesser extent because the Serie A doesn't get as much coverage in the U.S. We follow them religiously because that, I mean, that's it. That, that is the guy, right? This is the first time I am watching somebody play at that. This is the first time I'm turning on the Premier League and going, that's my boy, right? I'm not a Chelsea fan. I'm almost becoming a Chelsea fan on accident because I tend to watch like all of their games. I'm watching Pulisic play in these games. Barcelona's the same way with Dest. He had a poor game last night, but I I I am blown away at how much progress we made. When you look at the team that got to the round of 16, I mean, we had Chris Wondolowski on that team. Look at the roster of the team that made the knockouts in 2014 and where they played and what they were valued at. By, I don't know if Transfermark existed eight years ago, but that's always a fantastic metric to determine how people view players. And we started Kyle Beckerman with the, the guy with the dreads from Colorado started a game at the World Cup for the United States. Julian Green, who had not played a senior game with Bayern Munich, was on that team. He was just in Bayern too, and he ended up in the third division the next season in Germany. He scored a goal. It's like a completely different era, and we have we've come out of that. And it's like, well, why is the U.S. is getting all loud and all excited about this guy? That's why is because we were we were we were punching above our weight for a long time, for years yeah. with toughness and pride and just that kind of like 
sort of spirit that we'd have with Clint Dempsey and that sort of thing. We were punching above our weight and now we're punching below it. And it's, it's a big adjustment for the fan base. I think it's a big adjustment for the people that were celebrating, just making the world cup. Like, no, 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 we've got to do it in style. We are now Brazil, right? In our own minds. We're not actually, and I know that I'm just saying Brazil, if they win and they win ugly, they're upset. And we made it to the World Cup ugly. And I'm upset. I th- we, we know we should be better than that. Costa Rica is not good. They're not as good as they were the last couple of cycles. They're just not. I know because I look at the team and where they play. And they've got dudes all over the place from that Costa Rican league, which is <clears throat> not good. So Not only did we lose to that Costa Rica team, that Costa Rica team that we played rested like eight of their starters yes. and basically played a U23 team. We, we so. played the all-star team of the Costa Rican league and lost. <laughs> and I think that's why, you know, the, the celebration was a bit muted on the field. And oh, it's so funny because it was Kobe Jones was like expecting this explosive celebration after the loss to Costa Rica. And he's like, well, they're not really celebrating yet. I think they're just in shock of what they've just done. And I'm like, no, Kobe, they're from my generation. Right, they're from my generation where they realize that we should be better than this. Like we, we absolutely should be better than this, and they didn't want to lose that game. That was that was just a funny moment with Kobe, and it's nothing against Kobe Jones because he's from the generation where, like, you know, when you when he was growing up, the U.S. wasn't making the World Cup. Right, it's progress. Yeah, it's it's much easier to be an underdog that is performing above your expectations, hmm. and that's essentially what us as fans have experienced. Barring the 2018 disaster, that's essentially what we've been doing for the last decade or so. But Zealand, my friend, thank you so much for joining us. I just want to call out that you have finally, finally won the Austrian League with the Dorfers. <laughs> just tell everyone finally. that's listening, that's watching, what's happening on your channel, where they can find you, and what's coming up next. You're right. I manage a team in Austria called Floridsdorfer. We finally beat Salzburg. Rest in peace, Brendan Aronson. And uh, it, a huge achievement. We're in the Champions League group stage for the first time. It was our first league title in 109 years as a club. Uh, they won one in 1918, which I don't know why they were playing at the end of World War One, but I guess they were. And uh, Austria, yeah, the last gasp of the Austria-Hungarian Empire. We were winning our first league title in Austria. We finally won our second. So that's cool. I'm on Twitch, uh, Twitch named Zealand, uh, and YouTube as well. Zealand, do some World Cup qualifying recaps if you want to realize or figure out how teams like Iran made it to the World Cup or how Scotland and Wales ended up where they are. Those videos are a great place to start. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you next time.